Hallelujah, the Lamb of God. Amen. 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 We are entering into the Holy Week of Easter. Today we come to uh, Luke 23 here in just a few moments. And we have been, as you know, we have been in a series called Awe. And as we have seen things that God has done over the past weeks, as we've looked at various passages of Scripture, such as we have seen Him as our Creator from Genesis 1 and the one who formed us uh, in uh, Genesis 2 and 3. We talked about the burning bush. We saw Him at the burning bush. We saw Him uh, parting the Red Sea. We saw Him uh, as the fire fell from heaven on Count, uh, Mount Carmel. And then we saw Isaiah's vision. We've seen quite a few things where it has caused us, as we've read these passages of Scripture, realizing that this is an awesome God, we have stepped back and said, wow, look at this. This is awesome. Amen? But let's just think of the title for today's message. Christ on the cross. Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, God, on the cross. And He's on the cross because He's dying for you and for me. Friends, that should cause us to step back and say, wow. It should awe us. Christ on the cross should cause us to have our souls awakened and to stand in awe of Him. So today what we'd like to do is just remember the cross and walk away today more in love with Jesus than when we walked in. Amen? That's our desire. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 46. And honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you're able to stand, would you please stand as I read this passage for you this morning? We're picking up here the... Uh, Jesus is already on the cross. He's already gone through uh, the time with Pilate and Herod, and uh, the crowds have already cried out for him to be crucified. Simon has already taken his cross for him because he couldn't bear the weight of it after his scourging. And we pick up in verse 32 telling us that there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand, And the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offered him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying that if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. 
And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Let's pray together. O Lord in heaven, how profound and powerful these words are to us today. We are reminded this morning of the awesome sacrifice that has been made for our salvation and that Jesus went to the cross for us. God, I pray that we'll not walk away from here the same way in which we came in. Lord, give us a renewed mind and heart as we think about what you have done for us on that cross. As we look at these things which you said while you were on the cross here, Lord, may it speak to us today. May you give us the comfort that we need in places of comfort is needed. May you bring about the conviction in our hearts where the conviction is needed. May you call us, Lord, to yourself. Lead us on the path of righteousness to live for you daily. But help us to love you more. God, I pray that if there are those here today that don't know Jesus, they'd come to know this precious Savior who gave us all for us. I pray, Father, for those of us who are believers, that this would be a time of renewal and revival of our hearts and our spirits. Lord, that you would awaken us again to who you are. That this thing of coming to church, this thing of calling ourselves Christians, would not be a game, but it would be the truth. That we would walk in truth and walk with a passion for Jesus Christ. And, Father, I pray that you would have your way in all of our hearts, that when we walk away from here today, that we'll know that you have met us here. And you would be glorified and exalted. And now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see the outline for today's message in your bulletin as we look at this idea, this passage of Scripture of Christ on the cross. And the first thing that we're going to see, we're going to look at, actually, we're going to look at these in, in those verses of Scripture that you see there, there are three quotes of Jesus, the red letters, if you will, things that Jesus said on the cross in this particular passage of Scripture. There's supposed to be about seven different sayings of Jesus on the cross, but we're going to just look at three here today. And the first one that we want to see here is a cry of pardon, a cry of pardon. Now, verse 34, it tells us these words, and here's that, that pardon. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, in some earlier translations, that verse is not there, but other reliable sources certainly have this verse in this place. And if you back up in verse 33, we want to see here what is taking place before Jesus says these words in verse 34. It tells us that when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Just looking at that one verse there this morning, if you uh, were to stand in awe of anything, just looking at three words in that verse where we see they crucified him. Just, just think of the scope of what is said in those three words. Just think of the scope of this, these words here this morning. That the creator, the one who had the power to heal the sick, the one who had the power to cast out demons, the one who had the power to speak to the wind and the waves, the one who had the power to walk on the waters, the one who had the power to raise Lazarus, that's the one they're talking about, that they 
crucified him. Just think of the scope of what is happening here. Think of this crucifixion itself. The awfulness of the crucifixion, that which we have seen pictures and heard about for many, many years now. The cruelty that took place in the midst of crucifixion, that the person on a cross died from suffocation where they could no longer breathe, where they would have to uh, pull themselves up as their, their hands or their wrists were in the, on the cross by nails, and they would have to pull themselves up in order to get breath into their lungs. Just the cruelty of what took place here of, their, of the people dying on a cross. Think about what took place here as Jesus is on the cross with the awfulness of the cross, the cruelty of the cross, the insults that are being hurled, the mocking that has taken place, the pain that he is enduring, the humiliation that he is having to to deal with, and the suffering that he has there on the cross. And as we know that that is what Jesus is dealing with, Christ on the cross, the first thing that he says on the cross is in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Wow. But really, how appropriate that that would be the first thing Jesus would say. Because as Jesus Christ is on the cross, friends, it's all about forgiveness. Amen? It's all about forgiveness. One author, as I was reading this week, said, Christ's prayer, while they were in the very act of mocking him, is an expression of the boundless compassion of divine grace. Erwin Lutzer, in his quote from his book, Cries from the Cross, he says, when man had done his worst, Jesus prayed not for justice, but for mercy. He pleaded that his enemies would be exempt from the just consequences of their evil deeds. And he prayed not after his wounds had healed, but while they were yet open. Words of forgiveness came from his lips when the nails were being driven into his body. When the pain was the fiercest, when the jolts of anguish were their sharpest. He prayed as the cross was lowered into the hole with a thud. It was then when his nerves were yet the most tender, when the pain was the most unfathomable, that he, was the, he who was the victim of history's greatest crime prayed for the criminals and not just the ones who were on the other two crosses. You see, friends, Jesus was suffering the most horrible, painful death ever concocted by men. And yet Jesus looked at the very people. Now think of it. Jesus looked at the very people who were responsible for his suffering. Those who were taunting him. Those who were shaking their fist at him. Those who spat at him. And he prayed for their forgiveness. Wow. Amen? Wow. Amazing incredible, unbelievable awe. But this is Jesus. He is fulfilling who he is and and what he is about. You see, you recall that Jesus had taught us to love one another. Amen? 
He had taught us even not only to love one another, but he had also taught us that we are not only to love only one another, but to also love our enemies. In Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said these words, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And watch, pray for those who spitefully use you. That's exactly what Jesus is doing on the cross, right? That's what he's doing here. And even as he is praying for their, their forgiveness on the cross, watch this. Even, the, even as he is praying for their forgiveness on the cross, we see that it is actually through his death on the cross that is providing the way for them and us to be forgiven. You see, friends, there would be no cleansing, no forgiveness from our sin apart from the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You see, while this picture of the cross is the most horrible picture of man's wickedness, it's horrible in how it was devised to cause suffering. It's horrible in how it was used in the, when people committed crimes to, be a, a, to show people, uh, to be an example before them. They used the crucifixion. It's a horrible picture. But friends, listen, not only is it the most horrible picture, but it's also the most beautiful picture. Because it is a picture of how we have forgiveness. It is a picture of how we have been pardoned. You see, friends, those who are around the cross, as Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Those around the cross are not only those people, but we're around that cross too. Think, we're thinking that our way is west, rebelling against God and shaking our own fist at God, saying, God, I know what's best here. I know my own way is better than your way. We are just as well be around the cross too. But we have been forgiven because of the cross of Calvary. And since we have been forgiven much, we also must forgive as well. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, It tells us in that passage, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, watch this, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. You see, friends, as Jesus went to the cross and he was able to give a cry of pardon, not only to those people who were doing things for us, he gave a pardon for us as he went to the cross for us. He has forgiven us. He forgave them. He forgives us. And he has forgiven us of much. And as Jesus has given us, forgiven us of much, listen, we also must forgive. He is our example. Christ on the cross, we hear the cry of pardon. We see the God who forgives on that cross. And the second thing we see here is not only a cry of pardon, but we see a cry of 
promise. A cry of promise. Let's look at verses 39 through 41 here. 39 through 41, it tells us these words. When one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed Jesus, saying, If you were the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You see the picture here. Jesus is in the center cross. One is on the right, one is on the left. And one of them begins to rebuke the Lord Jesus, beginning to speak and mock at him, while the other one speaks over to the other criminal and tells him, Look, we're under the same condemnation. Do you not even fear God here? You know, as we see in the other Gospels, as you look at the other Gospels at this particular passage of Scripture, it shows us that both of those criminals taunted Jesus. Both of them did. But one, obviously, according to this passage, one of those criminals obviously had a change of heart as it's seen in his rebuke to the other criminal. Now, we're not sure what took place. We're not sure why that happened in that man's life, in that man's heart. Maybe, maybe he saw how Jesus was daily with, uh, he, he saw how Jesus was dealing with his crucifixion. How Jesus is dealing with what he was going through himself. Maybe it was when he heard Jesus' cry of pardon to, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Maybe that's what it was. But friends, whatever the case was, this criminal who now is speaking to Jesus, he saw the grace of God. And he was changed. You see, this criminal who rebukes the other criminal prayed a prayer of faith, trusting Jesus. Where do you see that? Well, let's look at verse 42. The criminal there said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's praying a prayer of faith to Jesus. Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom and think of the faith that this condemned criminal has at this moment. He is believing in Jesus at a time when it appeared that Jesus himself needed to be saved. Jesus is on the cross here, a mess because of all that he has had to endure. And yet this criminal says, remember me. He's believing despite the common consensus of the people. Everybody who was around the cross except for his mother and maybe John. Everyone else does not believe in Jesus. But the criminal on the cross who's had the change of heart, who's seen the grace of God, who's prayed this this prayer of faith, he now looks to Jesus and says, remember, he's going against the common consensus. He was trusting Jesus. And so the second thing that Jesus says from the cross is a cry of promise. And look at the promise that he makes. Jesus said in verse 43, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, that one verse causes us to say, wow, amen. Wow, we're in awe of what has been said there. Today. Look at here. What's the cry of promise? What is he promising? First of all, he says, assuredly. That means truly. The the, the Greek is amen, which is where we get amen. Amen, certainly. It is the truth. Assuredly. He's telling him something that can be trusted. One commentator said that this is a promise that is drawn from the bank of heaven and is as trustworthy as the one who is giving it. 
And I love that. Jesus is making a promise. He said, assuredly. What does he say? He has the cry of promise, assuredly. The cry of promise is today. Today, that very day. He's telling this criminal that that very day, not after some soul sleep. No, that very day. Think of it. That morning, the thief was justly crucified on the cross. But by late that evening, he was justly welcomed into the paradise by Jesus. He says, today, it points to an immediate consciousness. That means that he'll be very well aware when he gets there today. You see, friends, here's the thing. When we, listen, when we close our eyes in death as believers, we open them in glory. Today. It's a cry of promise, assuredly, today. And the cry of promise is not only today, but as you will be with me. Today you will be with me, Jesus said. It is a cry of promise to this criminal, this one who's placed his trust now in Jesus. You will be with me. Charles Spurgeon said that this man who was our Lord's last companion on earth was his first companion at the gates of paradise. You see, friends, that same promise where Jesus said, you will be with me, was also made to the disciples before his crucifixion in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said to them then, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And here's verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And that where I am, there you may be also. That's not the Gabriel's trumpet blowing, by the way. However, I'd be ready for that. I don't know about you. But our children are having a fire drill today, so just so you know, all right? And I think I was supposed to tell you that before now. But I think that's pretty appropriate at the right time, I think. Amen? You know, when that trumpet blows, friends, I'm going to be ready. How about you? Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. But what a great promise we have from the Lord that when that happens or when he calls us home, we know that we will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a promise. It's a promise not only of today that you'll be with me, but also you'll be with me in paradise. 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 Jesus calls this place paradise. This place is heaven. It's the dwelling place of God. It's that eternal home of those who are right with God. This word here in the Greek is the same word in in the Hebrew in Genesis for the Garden of Eden. It's possible they're hinting at a restoration of that intimate personal relationship and fellowship with God that existed in the garden before the fall. You see, friends, listen, as we think about this paradise, this promise that Jesus made to the criminal here who placed his faith and trust in Jesus, as we cannot even begin to imagine the beauty, but the very, but the very paradise that we can think of is just to be able to be with Jesus. Amen? That's going to be the paradise of all paradise, is to see the one who died for us on Calvary's cross. To see the one face-to-face, friends, that we have prayed to and talked to and walked with through all of our years of following Jesus. That will be the paradise of paradise, of being with the Lord Jesus Christ. But even then, if Jesus calls this place paradise, it must be beyond 
what we can even begin to imagine. Amen. And if we can see the beauty all around us today in the world, in nature, how much more beautiful the paradise in the presence of God. Erwin Lutzer also writes a book called One Minute After You Die. I love that little book. I don't even know if it's in print anymore. But in that book, he says these words, that those who find themselves in heaven will be surrounded with friends whom they have known on earth. Friendships, once rudely interrupted by death, will continue where they left off. Every description of heaven they have ever heard will pale in the light of reality. And all of this forever. Others, indeed many others, will be shrouded in darkness, a region of deprivation and an unending regret. There, with their memories and feelings fully intact, images of their life on earth will return to haunt them. They will think back to their friends, their family, their relatives. They will brood over opportunities that they squandered and intuitively know that their future is both hopeless and unending. And for them, death will be far worse than they imagined. And so, he writes, while relatives and friends plan your funeral, deciding on a casket, a burial plot, and who the pallbearer shall be, you will be more alive than you have ever been. You will either see God on his throne, surrounded by angels and redeemed humanity, or you will feel an indescribable weight of guilt and abandonment. There is no destination midway between these two extremes. It's either just gladness or gloom. I'm told that there's a cemetery in Indiana that has an old tombstone bearing this epitaph that reads like this. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Well, an unknown passerby saw that epitaph and couldn't help as he read those words to to scratch this reply underneath. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. (laughs) Amen. Friends, as we look at the cross, this is what Jesus is doing on the cross. He is securing our salvation. And just as he was able to promise paradise for that repentant thief, friends, we have the same promise when we trust him by faith. And that should cause us to be in awe of God. Amen? This pardon, this cry of pardon, this cry of promise. And then thirdly, we see a cry of purpose. A cry of purpose. Let's look at verses 44 and following to the end of uh, our scripture we read today. It says, Now it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And then the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, He breathed his last. Here's we see these words here in the scripture. We believe that these are indeed the last words of Jesus on the cross. Now, John chapter 19, verse 30 tells us that when he had received sour wine, it says, he said, it is finished. And it goes further and says, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. 
And so scholars believe that his last words were indeed these words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And what Jesus is doing here is he is praying, yielding completely to the Father's will, submitting himself in perfect obedience to his Father's business. You see, if you remember from the beginning of Luke chapter 2, his first words in Luke 2.49, as a boy in the temple, as Joseph and Mary were searching for him, looking for him, and he, he sort of uh, hung back as the parents had left, you know. And so they come back into find him at the temple, and as they come to him, Jesus says to them, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Those were his first words recorded there in Luke. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And now we come to his last words on the cross, and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What he's doing here is he is fulfilling his purpose. He is here for a purpose. And he's fulfilling that purpose. What's happening here on the cross is that he is laying down his life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is laying down his life. You see, friends, even in death, Jesus is in control. You see, this was not an accident. It was an appointment. All that takes place on the cross of Calvary is according to the purposes of God and not the schemes of men. Jesus himself had said in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, these words, he said, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. He says in verse 18, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again, this command I've received from my Father. You see, friends, even at the cross, Jesus is fulfilling his purpose. It's not an accident. It's it's an appointment. It's exactly the purpose and the plan of God. He is fulfilling his purpose. You see, friends, listen, King Jesus was always in control, always He was in control when he spoke, and the worlds came into being. King Jesus was in control as he spoke to Moses at the burning bush. King Jesus was in control at the Red Sea as it parted, and God's people were brought out of bondage and freed from the Pharaoh. King Jesus was in that fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Jesus stood on the stern of the boat in the midst of a storm, and he said, Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves listened and obeyed him. King Jesus was in control when that demon-possessed man came to Jesus, and then Jesus cast the demons into the swine. And last week we looked at the tomb of Lazarus. King Jesus said, Roll away the stone. And Lazarus come forth, and we saw that King Jesus was in complete control there as well. And friends, as he was in control also as he went to the cross, and here he is still in control. In this verse when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he is the one who is laying down his life. He cried out, it tells us, with a loud voice. That shows that even with his oxygen-deprived lungs, with a loss of great amounts of blood 
and with a badly beaten body that he could still, with a loud voice, cry out. This shows that this is a determined will to fulfill his purpose. Friends, Jesus died for you, and he died for me. This Jesus died voluntarily, laying down his life for us. This Jesus died sacrificially. Understand that Jesus had done nothing to deserve death. The penalty of death was not on him. He did not deserve to die, but he, he didn't have to die, but he gave himself for us. He died sacrificially, and he died in our place. We are the ones who deserved this death. You deserved it. I deserved it because we're all sinners, and we face the penalty of our sin, which is death. But he paid our death penalty for us. Wow. Amen? Wow. We stand in awe of that. Why? Now, the question is, is that why? Why did Jesus do this? Why did he stay on the cross? Why did he go to the cross for us and endure such suffering and pain and endure this for us? Why did he have to deal with this? Why did he do that for us? Well, friends, there's a couple of things. One is the love of God. We cannot understand it, why he would love us this much. But the love of God caused Jesus to be there. It's also the, to fulfill his purpose and obedience to the Father. He knew he was there for a purpose. He came for us to seek and to save the lost. You know, when you think about Christ on the cross, he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the creator on the cross. And friends, I've got news for you. It was not the nine-inch metal nails that were keeping our Savior on the cross because he could have come down at any moment. The thing which kept him on the cross was his love for you and his obedience to the Father's will. He fulfilled his purpose to reconcile us to holy God. And so we see here from the cross today that there is a cry of pardon, a cry of promise, and a cry of purpose. Now, there's two things that you need to do, that we need to do in response to this message. The first thing I'd like to say that we need to do that I think the Lord deals with all of us about all the time, is that we need to forgive. That we need to forgive. You know, Chuck Swindoll says, he says, today, looking at this passage of Scripture, he said, today, at the, at the slightest offense today, we are ready to retaliate, to defend ourselves, and to fight back. And yet, at Jesus' greatest moment of agony, he sincerely prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus has forgiven us much, and so we must also forgive. In Ephesians four thirty-two, it tells us this, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Forgiving, watch this now, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Jesus suffering on the cross of Calvary with his tormentors, barely able to breathe, very little lifeblood left in him, 
cries out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And yet we today have the audacity to hold a grudge against someone for some piddly little thing that's made us mad. As believers in Christ, we must be forgiven. We must be forgiven because we have been forgiven much. Amen? We are to forgive following the example of Jesus. Friends, I don't, I don't know what somebody's done to you. I have no idea what's going on in your family or in your life or what's been going on. But what I do know is that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a command and we also have an example and that we must forgive. Amen? That's a mighty weak amen for that. Amen? Amen. amen. We are to forgive. And then secondly, not only are we to forgive, but we're also to live. We're to live, first off, two things. First, live out your purpose. Live out your purpose. Jesus, his purpose was to seek and save the lost. And friends, your purpose, that God has called you, your purpose is to first come to know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And then once you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, then follow him and be fishers of men. If you've never trusted this Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of your life, He's calling out to you today. As he went to the cross, he went for you. All we must do is cry out to him in a prayer of faith, trusting him to save us, believing in him, just as what this criminal did on the cross. Friends, we acknowledge that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We turn from our sin, we turn to Jesus, which is repentance, and we believe, embrace him with all of our heart that this this one Jesus on the cross is the Son of God who died for you, who died for me, and who rose again bodily from the grave. And we profess him as the Lord and Savior. It's a step of faith. If you've never done that, live out your purpose by accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then follow him. Living out your purpose, friend, is following Jesus. And be fishers of men. That's what he called his disciples to do. So live out your purpose. But then a second part to live is to live in light of his promise. What did he promise? He promised us that one day we would see him face to face. One day we will be with Jesus. And we know that's true not only because of the cross, but what we're going to talk about next week, which is the resurrection. The tomb is empty. And because the tomb is empty, we have hope. And we know that we can live in light of his promise that one day we're going to be with the Lord. And friends, as we've said before, we'll say it over and over again. If the resurrection is real, then it changes everything. Amen? And I'm here to tell you that it's real. That it's real. And so we're to live in light of his promise. This world has nothing for us, and this world can do nothing to us when we are safe in the arms of Jesus. Amen? One real quick thing, and we'll be done. You may have heard the news this morning before you got here that in Egypt there were a couple of bombings in some churches. Some Christians gave the sacrifice of their lives this morning. Unbeknownst to them, bomb, I don't know if it was a truck bomb or what it was, but it went into two different places, maybe more by now, I don't know, targeted. And some Christians are now, at this very moment, seeing their Savior face to face. Friends, those people went to church this morning having no clue that that was going to take place, I'm sure. And here's the thing. We never know 
when our time's going to be, do we? We never know. So we are to constantly be living in light of his promise and living out his purpose every day. But also, if you don't know Jesus, that should teach you something that we're not promised our next breath. Always be ready. Always be ready. Always be ready. And you're ready by knowing this Jesus who died on the cross for us and receiving him as Lord and Savior of your life. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd be with us this morning. Lord, our hearts and our prayers go out to those families and those that are in Egypt today who are followers of Jesus Christ. Be with those in those churches who survived this terrible blast. But Lord, how our minds cannot help but to think about the glory of a martyr's reward to be standing before you on, in your throne, at your throne, worshiping at the feet of Jesus. What a way to enter into glory while worshiping you here on earth, opening their eyes, worshiping you in heaven. God, I pray that you'd be with us to constantly be worshiping you all the time. That we'll walk away from today's message more in love with you, Lord Jesus, because of what you did for us on the cross. How we're grateful for your awesome pardon, your promise, and the purpose that has been fulfilled. If there are those here today who've never trusted you, Lord Jesus, may this be that time. As we come to this moment of invitation to come and take Pastor Andy or myself by the hand. And say, I want to know this Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And we'll be glad to pray with them. But others, Father, in this place, as we are reminded of the awesome price that has been paid for us on Calvary's cross. And that Jesus did this for us. Even though we're not worthy. Even though we don't deserve it. Yet he took our place. Lord, may that renew within us a greater joy. A greater passion. A greater love for you that outweighs everything else. Lord, if there are times of recommitment need to be made, people need to come and pray and just asking for us to pray with them that they would live that out daily. Or maybe there are those who just need to come and pray silently. Maybe there are those that you're calling to be a part of this church fellowship. Lord, I pray whatever you're dealing with our hearts about, that we'd be obedient, that we'd follow through, and we'd be your people. And Lord, we'd be more in love with you. Now, Lord, have your way as we come to this time, as you would have your own way. In our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to-